Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. Come to one of my favorite times of the year as we are in the Lent season, leading ourselves here and preparing ourselves for Easter and uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So we are beginning a series this morning that we've simply entitled, Remember. One of the great wonders of the human brain is its capacity to encode, store, and retrieve memory. Can you imagine life without memory? I mean, it's one of God's great gifts to us, isn't it? It is one, it is one of those things that God has given to us as a tremendous gift of his love, and yet it is both a blessing and it's equally a burden. There are some memories that are positive and pleasant. There are others that are negative and painful. Some memories we long to hold on to, we cherish. Others we would as soon forget. But it's been aptly stated that we have been given this moment and our memories. That's all we have. That's all we've been promised. So the Bible has a lot to say about memory. There are things in the Bible where the Lord actually tells us, I want you to forget these things. But there are some things that the Bible makes very clear. In fact, admonishes us to remember. We are to remember the Lord our God. We are told to remember that it is God who gives us our wealth. We are told to remember the Sabbath. And here's an interesting one. We are told to remember Lot's wife. That would be a good one to study this week. Well, Jesus on his final night before his betrayal, before he was arrested, before he was sentenced, Jesus is sharing a meal with his disciples And the Bible tells us that there is one thing that he asked them to remember, just one. He said, I want you to remember me. But interestingly, Jesus did not ask them to remember his life. He asked them to remember his death. Not his miracles, his martyrdom. Not the way he came to them, the virgin birth, but the way he was about to leave them, the crucifixion. He said, I want you to remember me. All four of the Gospels record the narrative of this moment with Jesus and his disciples. And Paul the Apostle emphasizes and captured in his letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On my wedding day, I actually proclaimed my death to Kelly. With these words, till death do us part, I committed to love her and be loyal to her until my dying breath. What Jesus is saying here is, I want you to remember my death, and it's going to last beyond just my death. My love for you and my loyalty to you will remain until I return. And so Jesus, on this night, he chooses an interesting meal to tell his disciples to remember him. It is the Passover celebration, the celebration when the Israelites are coming together to remember what is the most historic event that took place, and it's the one that is most celebrated by the Jewish people. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, tells us the night that Jesus does this, verses 14 through 15. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, the Passover for the Jewish people was a time of looking back. It was a date on the calendar that they had hitched their faith, much like we do Christmas. Annually, they look forward to this day. Because it was a day that reminded them of God's faithfulness when he came to Egypt and he led them out of bondage and slavery. He did so with 10 affirming signs, the last of which was a death angel that was going to sweep through Egypt. And it took the faith of the Israelites to obey what God asked. And what God asked was that they would take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, that they would sacrifice it. And they would place its blood upon their doorposts. And when the death angel saw the blood, the death angel would pass over that home. Hence the term pass over. It was on that night that Jesus takes this historic moment to take an ordinary moment and turn it into something extraordinary, to take a common meal and make it something that was both memorable and meaningful. He takes a moment to do a show and tell with his disciples. How many of you here remember your first show and tell as a kid? Do they still do that in school, by the way, show and tell? As a kid, I remember my first show and tell. I was five years old. And it was in kindergarten. And I remember bringing my favorite superhero with me to school that day. And no, it wasn't Superman. And it wasn't Batman. It wasn't Spider-Man. It was Ultra-Man, okay? How many of you here actually remember Ultra-Man? Just a few of us. Okay, if you want to have some fun after church today, just Google 1966 Ultra-Man. Take a look at the 
the first episode of Ultraman, it'll rock your world, okay? This was a superhero. Using the Bader capsule, Hayata becomes Ultraman, and there he is. That was my first show and tell. I'll never forget it. And what Jesus does at the Passover meal is he takes an opportunity to show his disciples how much he loved them and to tell them what it was about to cost him. How much this love was going to require of him. Today, we simply refer to this as the Lord's table. Or we often refer to it simply as communion. Communion is both an event and it's also an experience. The idea of communion actually is found in the root word itself. Commune. That is both a noun and it's also a verb. So when you think of it as a noun, it is a relational term. We would pronounce the noun commune. So what is the first image that comes to your mind when you hear the word commune? Some of us think of the 1960s hippie movement. Others of us think of Yellow Springs, Ohio. Um, either will do, okay? But, but the idea is that a commune is a tightly knit group of people that are sharing together both privileges and responsibilities. So as a noun, this word, communion, actually implies relationship. But it's also a verb. And as a verb, the word commune literally means to enter into the thoughts and feelings of another. So this word, communion, is actually both a highly relational term and it is a deeply emotional term. At communion, we are experiencing God entering into us and us entering into God and then us entering into one another. Now there are two angles of this that actually the scripture, I think Jesus wanted us to remember. It's why he celebrated it the final night. It's why Paul the apostle come back, comes back and he emphasizes it with the Corinthian church. God wanted us to remember that there are two really important aspects to communion that all spring out of this word commune. First of all, communion is all about community. Communion is all about community. At communion, we metabolize the presence of God and God metabolizes our presence with him. It is a mystical experience. It is a divine moment of invitation where God enters into us, we enter into him, and we in turn enter into one another. So at the Lord's table, we are one. We are one. 
Paul actually says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? Break the bread. Aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. In many parts of the world, communion is actually celebrated much like it was in the early church. So when the body of Christ gathers together, they actually do so with one loaf of bread and one single cup, which is actually known as a common cup. Anybody here familiar with the idea of the common cup? Anybody here ever partake of a common cup? Okay. It'll change your world. So as a kid growing up in a Catholic church, I never reached my first communion. I was just that rebellious. But I remember sitting in the Catholic church many weeks and watching the Eucharist be served. And I remember the priest walking in front of individuals as they came. And he brought the common cup. And each person would drink of the cup, and then he would ever so gently wipe off the rim of the cup and hand it to the next individual. I never reached that moment. But a number of years ago, I was in Romania, and I spoke at a church in the capital in Bucharest. The end of the service, the pastor came, and he called the ushers forward, and they led into a time of communion, and they began to pass around a couple of common cups. There was a crowd of about 800 people, and as I stood there on the platform, I watched all of these individuals drinking out of these common cups, and I innocently leaned over to my missionary host, and I said to him, where are our cups? And he smiled and looked at me and said, they're coming. And those common cups made their way to the platform. And I was the lucky guy to be one of the last ones to drink out of that common cup. Now listen, those who know me well, you know I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. Just not much, not much, just a little bit. And so I moved. I mean, I was the most holy moment for me because I'm praying like I've never prayed before. Father, take this cup from me. And I drank, and thank God it was real wine. Hallelujah. I was, I was so thankful. It was like at least it was killing some of the germs, right, that are in the cup. Listen, we don't practice a common cup anymore, but what we do practice at communion is oneness. When we come together at the Lord's table, we are reminding each other, and we are reminding ourselves that we are one, that there is unity, that we are part of one family, that we share one common faith, that we have one Father, and He's the same Heavenly Father. At communion, we are one. And at the Lord's table, we are also equal. We do not just share and celebrate 
unity at the Lord's table, we also celebrate and acknowledge our equality. That at the Lord's table, there is no one better than another. There are not those who are more and those who are less. There are not the haves and the have-nots. There are not the rich and the poor. There are not the slaves and the free. There are not those who say, I am Jew and I am Gentile. We are all one when we celebrate at God's table. This weekend, our Iranian daughter, Zada, had us over to her place. She'd been telling us that she wanted to treat us to a Persian meal, and so this weekend we had the privilege of sitting around her table and having a traditional Iranian-Persian meal together with Zara. And as I'm sitting, sitting there at the table with our Iranian daughter, I'm reminded again that it does not make a difference what our culture is. It doesn't make a difference our ethnicity. It doesn't make a difference the color of our skin. When we are together as God's family, we are one. We are one humanity. Communion reminds us not just of our unity but of our equality. The Corinthian church had forgotten this. They were living and there was a tension that had developed because there were the haves and the have-nots. There were those who thought they were better than another when they sat together at a table. And Paul writes to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here's what he says, verses 20 and 21. I hear and when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. When you come together, you are not really eating the Lord's Supper. This is because when you eat, each person eats without waiting for the others. Some people do not get enough to eat while others have too much to drink. Five times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul uses the words, come together. At the Lord's table, we are not just one. And we are not just equal. But at the Lord's table, we are together. The problem with the Corinthian church was not that they failed to get together. The problem was they failed to be together. Their minds and their hearts were not connected the way God wanted them to be. The problem with the Corinthian church that Paul addresses was that the Corinthians had forgotten their table manners. Now, when our kids were young, we taught them table manners. Many of them didn't stick, but we worked on them. We reminded our kids often that there are certain things we do at our table. There are certain things that are okay at our table. There are certain things that are not. And one of those things that we agreed to and we tried to live out is that when we had a meal together, which we tried to celebrate often, we came together at the same time. One did not eat before another. We waited until we offered grace, gave thanks for our meal, before we started digging in. We stayed at the table until everyone had finished their meal, until there was a moment of saying, Dad, Mom, can I be dismissed? Can I be excused from the table? Sometimes we would say yes. Other times we'd say we'd like you to remain. 
there are just certain manners that we use around our tables, don't we? Whether or not they all stick is one thing, but our, our heart as parents is teaching our kids manners. God has table manners. And the table manners at the Lord's table is that we come to his table and we prefer one another in love. We honor one another. We are together as God's family, as God's body, as one. We are actually saying we are putting others before our own self. Now, at the final night when Jesus is asking them to remember him, the disciples had forgotten their table manners. It's actually startling to see what happens. They're sitting there at the Lord's table. He had just said to them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And in Luke chapter 22, here's what happens next with the disciples. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Really? Seriously? Jesus is pouring at his heart. He's saying to them, I don't want you to forget me. And while he's asking them to remember him, they're more worried about how they will be remembered. Which of us will be remembered the greatest? Which of us will be most significant? They had totally disengaged from what Jesus was sharing. He is entering into them. They are not connected. Have you ever been that way around the Lord's table? Present but not present? We do it to our own jeopardy. We do it to our own detriment. I love Jesus' response. Verse number 20, 26, 27. For, for, for who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Now notice what he says. But I am among you as one who serves. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus continually came back to providing a model for his body. Think about it. Jesus could have commanded. He could have required their love, but he doesn't. Jesus could have demanded their loyalty, but he doesn't. As God, he could have commanded they, they worship him, but he doesn't. Rather, he says, I'm going to earn your love. I'm going to earn your loyalty. And I'm going to earn your worship by how I live among you. So John's gospel tells us how he does it. After they break bread, after they partake of the cup, Jesus gets up from the table, girds himself in a towel as a servant, and he goes around and he washes the feet of each one of the disciples. In our culture today, we don't want people coming to the table with dirty hands. In that culture, what was most important was clean feet. Because Jesus knew that if their feet were clean, their whole body symbolically was clean. 
He washes their feet, and then he says this in John's gospel. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do just as I have done. Jesus never wanted us to forget. He wanted us to remember that what we will most be known for on this earth is by the way in which we served him and served one another. So communion is all about community. But there's a second aspect of this that I want you to to take an account of this morning. Communion is all about communication. It is all about communication. When we come to the Lord's table, at that last Passover meal, Jesus was saying, this moment is not just about sharing a common cup and a common bread. It is also a common sharing. You are sending a message. Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are making a proclamation, a declaration. And there are two aspects of this. The first is this, at the Lord's table, we communicate and share our deep need for God with God. We share our deepest need for God with God. When we come to his table, we are fully seen and we are fully known. When we come to his table, we can be completely honest and we can be completely vulnerable about what's inside of our own hearts. We can share from our true, authentic self. So the Bible following Jesus' resurrection, gives us a a remarkable story of Jesus appearing to disciples. Thomas isn't there, and here's what it says in John's Gospel. Chapter 20. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Every time we take hold of the communion elements, the bread and the cup, and I don't think this is a stretch, Every single time we take hold of them, it's as if Jesus is saying to us, look at my wounds. Touch my scars. Be reminded 
of the depth of my love for you, how far I was willing to go, never forget how deeply I loved you and how deeply it cut me to express my love for you. At the Lord's table, we bring our true self. We share our deepest need for God, with God. I need to be reminded, Thomas said, I need to see him. Communion affords us that opportunity. But there's another side to communication. It's the most powerful side. Because at communion, at the Lord's table, God shares his unconditional love for us, with us. He shares his unconditional love for us, with us. When we come to the Lord's table, it is as if we are the only one in that moment that's at the table. In some ways, it's as if God is saying, this is how much I loved you. Yes, I love them, but this is how much I love you. And I want to remind you that if you're the only one at the table, you mattered enough to me that I was willing to give my life for you, that I was willing to die for you. Thomas mattered enough that Jesus would come back to him, would appear to him and say, I want to show you, I want you to feel and experience how deeply I love you. That's how much you matter to me. So communion is really, in essence, two-way communication. At the Lord's table, we acknowledge our sinfulness and we declare his sinlessness. We acknowledge that we are unrighteous, but we declare that he is fully righteous. At the Lord's table, we acknowledge that we are helpless and defenseless, but he is our helper and he is our defender. At the Lord's table, we acknowledge we're lost without a way in this life, but that he is the way, the truth, and the life. At the Lord's table, we come and we communicate that we are sinners deserving of hell, but because of Jesus Christ, we are promised heaven. At the Lord's table, we declare Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. As our band comes and as our servers prepare the Lord's table this morning, there are two words that I think summarize the communication of the Lord's table more than anything else. Two things that God never wanted us to forget. He said, here's what I want you to remember. Two words. Communion is all about communicating these two things. Forgiveness and friendship. At the Lord's table, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. 1 John chapter 1. 
This is the message we have heard from him declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Notice that. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him to be out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. There is no one more or less at God's table. There is no one more or less deserving of his forgiveness. There is no one who is more or less deserving of God's love. Listen, at the Lord's table, we are all sinners in equal need of God's forgiveness. The Lord's table is all about forgiveness. It's also all about friendship. It's the second thing I never want you to forget. Jesus never wanted them to forget this. So in John's Gospel, chapter 15, here's what he says. And by the way, as we read this, this happens at the Lord's table, the Last Supper. It's three, it's two chapters removed from where Jesus actually celebrates the Lord's table with them, washes their feet. And now we're at chapter 15. But if you read it in context, this is a continuation of time around the table. Jesus actually says, I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I have named you friends because I've let you in on everything that I've heard from my Father. No more surprises. No more secrets. In the spirit of social media, the Lord's table is God's friend request to you. He is saying, I want to be your friend. I want to forgive you. You are forgiven. Look at my wounds. Touch my scars. And I'm your friend. I'm for you. I'm in your corner. I'm cheering you on. I believe in you. You were worth me dying for. Just let that settle. That's how much he loved us. Would you pray with me this morning? God, how quick we are to forget. How quick we are to forget. How quickly we fail to remember the depth of your love. the breath of your grace, the height of your forgiveness. We need to be reminded that we're forgiven 
All of us need that. We also need to be reminded that you call us your friend. It is both humbling and inspiring to sit here this morning and be reminded of how much you love us. And this season that we move into is a chance to remember. These are not just powerful historic stories. These are real moments where you connect with human hearts. So God, we invite you into our community this morning that we would have fellowship with you and one another and we invite you into this moment of communication. That as we commune with you, that as we commune with one another, that your spirit would empower us. Help forgiveness and friendship to become more real to us than they've ever been before, I pray. We pray these things in Christ's name. We celebrate an open communion here at Grace Crossing, which means if you know Christ as your Savior, we invite you to join us. If this morning you're here and your heart is drawn to the love and forgiveness of Jesus, maybe you've never crossed the line of faith and said, I want to give my heart to him. I want to live for Christ. This morning that's where your heart is. Then this would be a perfect moment for you to reach out just like Thomas did. Take hold of him, what he's done for you. Receive him into your heart. Stop doubting and believe. That was his word to Thomas. That's his word to us today. As we receive these elements, we'd ask you to practice good table manners. Hold these elements. Wait on one another. God bless you as you receive of the Lord today. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.